Well, this is kind of a scary thought. I've got a, a stool, and I've got oxygen tank, and um, we may be here all afternoon. <laughs> if I could figure out how that stuff works. So anyway, the uh, story is told of, of uh, three men who died and were standing outside the pearly gates of heaven. St. Peter asked the first fellow, he said, so uh, what's your story? How did you die? And he said, well, you know, and I'm not very proud of this moment in my life. He said, I've always been kind of a jealous husband. And I came home early uh, at lunchtime to surprise my wife. He said, and uh, when I got to the apartment, I noticed the smell of cigar. And he goes, and I went nuts. And I started looking all over the place. And I looked in the closet, I looked everywhere, and I couldn't find anybody, but I just knew something was wrong. He goes, and so I looked out the window, and sure enough, I looked down, and on the street level was a UPS guy smoking a cigar. He goes, so I just, I I lost it. I grabbed the refrigerator. I dragged it across the room. I got it up to the window seal. I pushed it out. And that's the last thing I remember. I felt this pain in my chest, and that was it. Peter looked at the second guy and said, well, what's your story? He goes, well, I did my early morning deliveries. It was lunchtime. I thought I'd take a break and smoke a cigar. And I heard this commotion above me, and I looked up, and it looked like the bottom of a refrigerator coming at me, and, well, that's all I remember. And so he looked at the third guy and said, well, how do you fit into all this? And the guy said, well, you know what? The, the last thing I remember was that I was minding my own business, sitting in a refrigerator, smoking a cigar, <laughs> and the next thing you know, here I am. <laughs> that story illustrates perfectly for us what the Bible says is true of all of us. That we are born into this world at enmity with God. And that through Adam, sin entered into the world and with sin came death. And even though we're quite often blind to our own transgressions, they exist nonetheless and must be dealt with in the, man, in the only manner that's acceptable to God. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul adds some clarity to this matter. In Ephesians chapter 2. We read these words. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, this, in this wonderful passage, we're reminded that death, both physical and spiritual, is the consequence of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. You know, God had warned them that if they ate the forbidden fruit, that they would die, and die they did. They died spiritually in that they were separated from God, and they tried to hide themselves from Him. They also began to die physically as their bodies began to show signs of decay on the way to the grave. You know, and if God had not redeemed Adam and Eve, they would have died eternally. And the point of all this, from the original disobedience in the garden, death in all of its form began to make its trek throughout the world. And that, as we learned in our last meeting together, is the reality of our mortality. That we come into the world separated from God. Because we are sinners, we are all going to physically die. And this series will give us a biblical perspective on what both believers and unbelievers can expect the moment that death arrives. Today we'll focus our attention on what the Bible has to say to all who die refusing to repent of their sins and rejecting Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on their behalf. So if you'll turn back to the outline that we have made available in Luke chapter 16. You know, if you look at this passage once again, we saw this as we went through the, the study through Luke's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. But we're going to look at it from a, from a different angle as we go through this today. And that is to look at what God's going to use it to teach us as to what one can expect the moment that that day comes for them. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, we read these words. Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the, rich, that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom and that the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and Lazarus likewise bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are the one in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm that's fixed, in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone comes and goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. But he said to him, They do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You know, as we went through this passage in context, Jesus used this uh, to teach the wealthy not to put their faith and their trust and hope in this material world, that one cannot love both God and money as they'll continually come in conflict with one another, that, you know, our finances or the resources that God gives us is, is probably one of the most accurate barometers of where we're at spiritually, because he had warned them and said that, you know, well, with, with with God, all things are possible, but, you know, with man, it seems to be impossible. He said, you cannot serve God and money in verse 13 of chapter 16. And so while that's certainly true, our emphasis today will be on what God reveals to us regarding life after death and what the unbeliever can, experience, can expect to experience the moment that they die. The first thing that we see is that in Hades, the rich man responded in a fully conscious, tormented state immediately after physical death. And that stands out very clearly as we look at this. He responded in a fully conscious, tormented state immediately after physical death. See, in the Old Testament, we learn that the Hebrew word Sheol is used for the realm of the dead. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, Sheol is always translated Hades. So in both cases, Sheol and Hades are never used of the grave, but always refers to the world of departed spirits. As I was reading through this and other passages, I was reminded of being asked several years ago to participate in a memorial service uh, for one of the players uh, who on, at that particular time was on the then L.A. Rams who died in a uh, one-vehicle car accident. Now, what was interesting is th- th- this invitation caught me off guard because the, uh, particular, this particular player had zero interest in spiritual things. And he had made it very clear to everybody around him that he had no interest in spiritual things and was very vocal about his personal rejection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. Once I got over being, you know, caught off guard of being invited, you know, I accepted this invitation to participate because I knew that it would be a great opportunity to at least share the gospel with those who would, who would come together that particular day. And so, I'm not this man's judge, but from what the Bible tells us, and assuming that he died in his unbelief, what did he immediately experience after his physical death? Well, first and foremost, don't miss this reality. You'll notice he, like the rich man of Luke chapter 16, died and was buried. He died. His car went off the side of the road of 395 on the way up to Mammoth, rolled off the side of the road, didn't have a seatbelt on, was thrown out of the car, and the car crushed him, and he died. And so he died and he was buried. And while the, you know, the plans were being made 
uh, if unexpected or carried out, if they saw it coming, you know, the, the, the body being laid to rest in one form or another, he was quite alert and aware of his circumstances. While all the funeral arrangements were being made, this rich man was quite aware of his circumstances. See, the word, as we look at this, that we see that stands out, that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up, is the word torment. Notice it says, and in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. The word is used uh, in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, uh, where it reflects the fear of God's judgment by the demons who knew quite well what the severity of God's wrath could be. It's also used in Revelation 9, 5, 11, 10. And if you'll turn with me to Revelation 20, look at verses 10 through 15. In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented, and there's our word, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This word torment, as we see here in this particular passage, indicates that it would be torment day and night, continually. The beast and the false prophet had already been thrown, and that we see that they suffered for a thousand years, and that their suffering continued to that day, and would continue throughout all of eternity. Those who die rejecting Jesus Christ's death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, without receiving him uh, for forgiveness of sin, the Bible says that the moment that that person dies, they will become immediately aware of the tormented state that they find themselves. This man died, he was buried, his body was buried, but yet he was quite alert. He saw what was going on as as we look back again at Luke chapter 16. He saw what was happening around him. He was quite aware of his environment and the circumstances. He said he was in torment, which was continuous in in nature, that he cried out. And when you think about just crying out and being in such pain and such agony, you know, it's interesting as as, uh, I've spent more than enough time in the hospital, but as, as as you hear people moaning and groaning and crying out for help, you begin to realize the aches and the pains that, you know, accompany, you know, this particular existence. But you know what? For the believer, we look forward to death as an escape from pain and suffering and sorrow and heartache 
And we'll talk more about that when we look at what the believer has in store when, when we look forward to death. But for those who are unbelievers, there's no escape. They look to death as an escape, but what they'll find is that they've never been in any more uh, torment than they'll find themselves at that moment. They long for and look for death to somehow alleviate the pains of this lifetime, only to find themselves in a situation, in, in an environment where they've never in their life experienced anything like what they will experience in the torment of eternity. Somehow or another, we, we need to gain a, a clearer and crisper understanding of this. We need to gain a recognition of of the reality of what will happen to that person who rejects Jesus Christ. That torment that we find, that crying out in agony. And I pray that our hearts become more sensitive and broken towards those around us who have not trusted in Christ. You know, Hades is a real place. It's a temporary place, as we see, One day, Hades will be tossed into the lake of fire, but it'll be a place of permanent and and, and continual torment and suffering. And as we look through this, the rich man in Hades also realized his eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. Look at verse 26. Abraham said, and besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able And that none may cross over from there to us. And so he realized that this chasm that was fixed, the Bible teaches just as it is appointed for men to die once, then comes judgment. It is also appointed for Jesus to offer once to bear the sins of many. Just as Jesus Christ died offering his life one time on the cross, it is finished. It is equally true that it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. See, if, you don't, if, if we don't grasp that, then we will face the same fate as the rich man in Luke 16 and countless others who did not take God at his word. See, there are no do-overs. There are no second chances once physical death has come. There's no such thing scripturally, biblically, as a purgatory, as a place where somehow we work off our sins before God because Jesus Christ died on the cross and him who knew no sin became sin so that we might have his righteousness bestowed upon us. See, there's no second chances. Today is your window of opportunity. And if you reject Jesus Christ... By the authority of what the Bible teaches, if today is your appointed day, then what lies ahead of you is Hades. And you will suffer, and you will be tormented, and you will cry out in agony, and there are no do-overs, and uh, that's just the way it is. Because God is God, and his word is truth. And we need to recognize and understand that. If your heart hasn't been stirred yet, Look at verses 27 and 28, where we learn this. In Hades, the rich man remembered his family 
and felt compassion for them. And he said, basically what he said was, well, if, if that's the case, then I beg you, Father, that you send him, speaking of Lazarus again, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he might warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Notice that. In Hades, the rich man remembered his family and he felt compassion for them. He remembered his relationships and so shall we. However, for the unbeliever, what he remembered didn't cheer him up. In fact, he remembered his family had no interest in God. He remembered his family did not seek God's forgiveness. He remembered their own selfish hearts and knew from firsthand experience that they were all in big trouble. And he would rather never see them again than to see or hear that they were eternally condemned. And to show this desperation of the situation, he resorted to begging. Now, I've got to believe, based on this account and from what this man's life represented, it's probably the first time in his life he ever begged for anything. It's probably the first time in his life that he was ever humble before God. It was probably the first time in his life that he ever negotiated from a position of weakness and not strength. If that's the way it's going to be, then can you at least please send somebody, send Lazarus to warn my family that this is a real place. And this is real agony. And this is real torment. And this is real judgment. And there's nothing I can do about it. My fate has been sealed. My destiny has already been determined because of how I responded to the gospel message in this window of opportunity that God has given me. See, he remembered these relationships. And what's fascinating to me is that he begged Abraham to send missionaries to his family's household. Isn't it amazing? Please send someone with the gospel to tell my family that they need to repent and that they need to turn from sin and they need to turn to God and they need to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. We're committed as a church body to reach this world with the word of God. And the reason is very simple, because we have been commanded to do so, and also because we believe in the reality of Hades or hell or the lake of fire or whatever it is that will, you know, get you where you need to be gotten at your heart level, because we believe that those who reject Christ will live in an eternity separated from God in constant torment. Do you believe that? See, if you really believe that, that you have a sense of urgency to share with all those who have not come to faith in Christ. If you really believe that, you'll be motivated, like this man was, begging that a missionary would be sent to his household that he'd be sent to his family. And notice this, he says, and to warn them, lest they also come to this place 
of torment. We need to take Hades, the lake of fire, as serious as the word of God takes it. See, don't believe the lies that are heard often today. We often hear people say, well, you know what? I'd rather be in hell with my friends, partying, than alone in heaven with folks I don't even know. You know, I I listen to things like that, and as we'll learn in this series, God has more in store for us than such senseless lies. Hades and the lake of fire are places of unending torment, agony, loneliness, lack of satisfaction. Don't fall for the lie and the liar who blasphemes God's person, God's place, and God's people. And the last one that we learned from this man, in Hades, the rich man recognized he was being, being treated fair and just. In verse 29 through 31, look what he says. But Abraham said, they have Moses and prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they become persuaded if someone rises from the dead. See, that's why Jesus said that, you know what? It's a wicked generation that seeks signs. And he said the last sign and the greatest sign that God will give to mankind is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what's fascinating is there was another guy by the name of Lazarus who was raised from the dead, and he had a message to share. And the people of his day said, you know what? Shut him up and kill him because we don't want to hear what he has to say. And so even though someone did come back from the dead up to this point, Jesus had not died. He had not been, he had not been buried. He had not been resurrected. Lazarus had. They didn't want to hear what he had to say either. Why? Because either we believe God's word or we don't. We believe it in its entirety or we don't believe any of it. And all judgment has been given over to Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, verse 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And what's confusing at times is people go, well, wait a minute, those who did the good deeds, resurrection of life, so it's all based on works, and that's not it at all. Because Jesus very clearly said at one point, he said, you know what, what is the good work of God? Well, that you believe upon him 
whom God has sent. That is the good work. That you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in human flesh who came to this earth and lived a perfect, sinless life. That he voluntarily substituted himself upon a cross for you and for me and for all who believe. That he was raised again from the dead three days later. And those who trust in him have eternal life. There is no other way. There is no other name. There is no other authority given to men under heaven by which men can be saved from the judgment or the wrath of God. And so when we look at this, we realize in Philippians 2, it's the same thing. That God has given to Jesus a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. And the reason for that is because Jesus Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. And God said, you know, for your faithfulness, for your sacrifice, I have turned all judgment over to you. And that's why at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. The rich man had yet to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. But the day that came when the white, great white throne judgment takes place in his life, and before Hades is thrown into the lake of fire, he will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But for him, it's too late. For you and I, who are still alive today, we have a window of opportunity in which either to accept God's invitation for peace with him or to reject it. The rich man had heard the word throughout his lifetime. He had been challenged uh, to repent. Notice this back in in Luke chapter 16 again. He knew exactly what his brothers needed to do. Notice this. If somebody goes to them and persuades them, then they will repent. Then they will repent. Have you? See, it's God's desire that men everywhere repent. Have you repented of your sins? See, he knew that what he's experiencing was just. And you know why that is? Because God is perfect. Because God is righteous. Because God is holy. Because God sees everything. And so while we may be able to blow smoke at one another, this man stood in a vulnerable position that he couldn't defend himself because God knew everything about his life. He could try, but it wasn't going to work. He didn't whine. He didn't moan. He didn't complain. He never said once, this isn't fair. Because he knew his life as God knew his life. And he knew that he was in deep trouble. And he also knew that his brothers and his family were in deep trouble. See, he understood God's plan and refused to submit to it. I'm afraid that there are some here today and some listening to this by CD who have heard God's plan that you have to repent of sin. They have to recognize that you're a sinner before God. The reason that you'll die one day is because of the reality of our mortality. That through Adam, sin entered into the world and with sin came death. 
And so the wages of sin is death. You will die and I will die because we come into this world children of wrath that we're sinners. And it becomes evident throughout the course of our life how guilty we really are. You've heard that. And God says, repent. God says, respond by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead. He is alive today and he begs you to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. That he'll forgive you of your sins. And the question is, have you done so? This window of opportunity from a very gracious and merciful God, no one will ever have an excuse before him. Think of how many times God has brought people into your life to confront you with his truth, to help you to see that you just weren't minding your own business sitting in a refrigerator smoking a cigar, that you were guilty before God. How many times has he brought people into your life to to give you that wake-up call that unless you repent, unless you throw yourself upon the mercy of God, then you will experience the wrath and the judgment of God. Don't make the same mistake as this rich man did. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, writes the following, and he writes it for our immediate consideration, not for something to think about later, but right here and right now. He wrote, There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. There is no want in God's power to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. They deserve to be cast into hell, so divine justice never stands in the way. They are now the objects of that very same anger and wrath that is expressed in all the torments of hell. Yes, God is a great deal more angry with great numbers that are, on, that are now on the earth. Yea, doubtless with some who have reread this book, who it may be at ease than he is with many of those who are now in the flames of hell. Unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering. And there are innumerable places in this covering so weak that they will not bear their weight and those places are not yet seen. There's the dreadful pit of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There's hell's wide gaping mouth open and you have nothing to stand upon nor anything to take hold of. There's nothing between you and hell but air and it is only the power and mere pleasure of God that holds you up. His wrath burns against you like fire. He looks upon you as, a worthy, as worthy of nothing else than to be thrown into that fire. You hang by the slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and to burn it asunder. If the dark side of death has been frightening... The good news is that if God grants you the desire to recognize that you are a sinner and to repent and to put your trust and hope 
in Christ and him alone to escape hell, then you're invited to do so now. See, indeed, the Bible has said, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Thankfully, there is a way of escape. We can be forever shielded from the wrath to come by trusting in the blood of Christ shed on our behalf on the cross. Have you trusted in him? If not, why not? And if you don't, this is what you have to look forward to. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you hopefully brokenhearted, fearful for those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ. God, it is my prayer that we would have a burden and just a compassion that this rich man in Hades had for his own family, that he recognized the seriousness of this transaction, the seriousness of getting right with God in this lifetime. God, I pray for anyone who's here today or hearing these words, that if they don't know that they have a secure relationship with you, then the reality is they don't. And that they would turn from sin, praying a simple prayer, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That he rose again from the dead. And that he offers eternal life to me, even here and even now. God, I thank you that your word is true. When it says, for God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we thank you, and we praise you for the precious blood of Jesus. And we pray that for those of us who have come to faith in him and him alone, that we will live our lives in a manner worthy of our calling, that we will redeem this time wisely, knowing that the days are few. And God, we just thank you for what work you will do through us that you've prepared for us before the foundation of the earth, and you will get all the glory, and you will get all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Life can be so good And life can be so hard Never knowing what each day Will bring to where you are Sometimes I forget And sometimes I can't see That whatever comes my way
know 